Christian that prays for God to bless your plans and asks God to be a part of the work you're doing? Or are you the type of Christian that prays for God to allow you to be a part of His plans and the work that He's doing? Pastor Mark will be challenging us to stop thinking of God as an entity that simply comes alongside us and blesses whatever we decide to do, like He's a genie that grants wishes or something. God is almighty and all-powerful, and He has saved us from sin and death. We should have the reverence and awe to ask if we can be part of what He is doing. We need to obey Him, not the other way around. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 2 with today's edition of Come Alive. 2 Samuel chapter 2, and it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron. And so David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam and the Jezreelites and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. And so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And then the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David saying, the men of Jabesh Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead And said to them, you are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and to to have buried him. And now may the Lord show you kindness and truth to you. And I also will repay you with this kindness because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant. For your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanim, and he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, and over the Jezreel, over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, and over all Israel. So Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. And now Abner, the son of Ner, and the servant. Well, we'll stop right there in verse 11. We'll go back to verse 1. We're going to go through the whole chapter. But if you remember from last week, we read about the death of Saul and Jonathan and how David and his men mourned their loss. So look at verse 1 again. It says, Now it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? Here, here's one of the cool things that you can see. It's, it's the 
death of Saul and his sons was a, was a major deal for David. Even though Saul was David's enemy, David winds up mourning their death. And, and so he, he stayed true to who he was. And so notice the first thing that David does, though. He inquires of the Lord. He, he comes into power, and he inquires of the Lord. And so most people who study the life of David notice a man that was used by God very effectively. So if we had to ask what was his secret, then we could, we could see that it was, well, because he inquired of the Lord. We, remember when he didn't inquire of the Lord back in 1 Samuel? When in 1 Samuel, he just kind of ran amok and he wound up living amongst the Philistines. And so why did his life, you have to ask yourself and you think about who he is, why did his life have such a great impact? Well, he was good when he went to God. He had a great impact when he went to God. And it's the same thing with us. When we inquire of the Lord, well, life may not be perfect the way we want it to be, but life will be good. No matter what trial will come our way, life will be good. So instead of inviting God into his plans, Instead of saying, God, here's my plans, and I want you in here, and I want you to bless these, he inquired of God and said, well, what are your plans, and I'll do what you ask me. See, I think a lot of times as Christians, we get things a little mixed up. We think that, here's what I want to do, and so, Lord, I want to invite you into my plans. Instead of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do, and I'll be a part of your plans. And that's what happens, and that's how we get things twisted up, and that's where we get ourselves into a little bit of trouble. And so a lot of times we wind up doing that. Oftentimes we ask God to bless what we want to do rather than seeking him for the answer or what he wants us to do. So David, right now at this point, he's, he's still in Ziklag in the territory of the Philistines. He was kind of bummed out, and so he left the land of Israel. He lived amongst those Philistines for a little while, if you remember. And now David is restored to the Lord. He wonders if it's time for himself to go back to his homeland. So he says, hey, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And you might think, well, that's easy. That's a simple question. But it isn't a simple question. It's really not that simple. It's not as simple as we might think. Some might think this is an an obvious thing. It's like, you know, hey, this is a no-brainer. But David didn't want to appear opportunistic. He he didn't want to seem like, oh, well, I'm just going to go and and, and we'll see and let the Lord bless that. What David did, he, he... He just didn't want to have people think that he just came back to Israel because Saul was dead. So he asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? So while not being overly concerned with appearances before man, he was not really that unconcerned with appearances either. And so you and I should always first bring that matter, whatever it may be, before the Lord. Hey, Lord, what do you want me to do? Here's the situation. What do you want me to do? I know many people who are like, oh, we'll just pack up and move, and the Lord will show us a church. I told you about my friend who did that and wound up not being able to find a church to worship at that was a right-on Bible-teaching church in the town he moved to. It was a small town, but he couldn't find a place, and he was really bummed out. And what had happened, because he, he went after something, a job, and you might think, well, man, that was a blessing from the Lord because it was a higher paying job. Well, money wasn't going to buy him good, solid Bible teaching. Uh, yeah, granted, the Internet's out there, but how, where would he fellowship with other Christians, like-minded believers? Who would support him in prayer, holding up his hands and helping him? And so he began to struggle. And as he began to struggle, he 
Well, he watched his marriage begin to deteriorate. And as his marriage began to deteriorate, so did his home life. His children began to call him a hypocrite and think that Christianity wasn't working out. And so sometimes it's better to say, hey, you know what, Lord, Here, here's a, the situation is before me. What do you want me to do? Not, will you bless this move? Will you bless? Oh, it's just not a good idea to do that, to make sure that we inquire of the Lord first and foremost. So God was faithful. Here's a cool thing when, when we see this. It says, and the Lord said to him, go up, go up. Go up. Where's go up? You know, go up. No, go up the hill to Hebron. And he said to Hebron. So he'd asked, where shall I go? Where shall I go up? And it's to Hebron. So the Lord gave him specifics on where to go. He didn't just say, hey, you know, head over there to Texas. And then when you get there, you know, just wherever you want to plant your feet. Just just do it. No, he said, where? where? What place? When we came here to plant this church, I was like, Lord, where do you want me to go? I was looking on a map. Seriously, I was like, Delaware. I don't know why Delaware. I'm kind of glad now. But I mean, you know, we've we've seen hurricanes in this area too. But I remember I I looked at a map. I thought, man, Delaware would be a cool place. They got good punch and I don't know what else they have there, but it would be a cool place. And so I thought, let's go. And so I began to pray. Lord, are you sure it's Delaware? Where do you want me to go? Because I never felt a real good answer. And then one day... We were here, and I was speaking at a, a Shred Fest event, a skateboarding event, and, and one of the guys said, hey, so what are you doing? <clears throat> I said, well, you know, I'm kind of hanging out at this small church, about to cut that small church loose. I'm just filling in until they find a pastor, and it's in a great place, and they offered it to me. And, you know, after having, you know, some discussion with my wife, we decided the Lord didn't want us there. And so I just really, I don't know. I'm just praying about where the Lord wants us. And he said, well, man, have you thought about Katie? And I was like, nothing good comes from Katie, right? And so I thought, man, you know, I, I remember driving down I-10 when there was just, it looked like a truck stop town and just didn't seem like the place for me. So we came out and we looked and we began to pray. Seek the Lord. Lord, is this where you want us? Not that, oh, wow, look at this place. This is awesome. I mean, the weather here is just great. I mean, it's the only place you can still wear shorts in November, right? Christmas, we'll probably be wearing flip-flops and tank tops. But So I really began to inquire. Ask the Lord, do you really want us here? We knew nobody in Katy, and so he said, go to Katy. And I remember going, are you sure? Are you sure? I'm like The Lord's like, oh, man, you know, I don't know, Mark. I'm, I'm not real sure. I'm, I'm that guy that can't make up my mind, you know? And he's like, no, that's you. And so this is where we came. This is where it was. So it was just one of those things, you know, sometimes it's hard to do that. I mean, there's other places I'd rather go, Colorado. You know, there's, I was telling Jim, I was like, Jackson Hole, Wyoming is an awesome place. And Jim's like, billionaires live there. And I was like, could you imagine the tithe offerings at that church there in Jackson Hole? But that's not what God wanted. He called somebody else there to Wyoming. I mean, I'd love to suffer for the Lord in Hawaii, or the Caribbean. I mean, just think about how awesome that would be. Who needs riches when you can die a beach bum on the beach? Blue waters. And so, again, God was faithful to answer when David inquired. God is always faithful to answer. Now, it may not be in the next 24 hours. Maybe there's something you're going through and you're like, I'm, I've been praying and I haven't heard an answer. Well, keep praying. Keep inquiring. 
And maybe that not hearing an answer, maybe you just heard no and you didn't want to hear it. I didn't hear you right, Lord. No, I'm dyslexic. On, I don't get it. No, maybe it's no. Maybe it's wait. Maybe it's not the season for you to make that move, to make that jump, to make that leap. So God is faithful to answer David when he inquired of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to David and gave him guidance. Guidance. This is where you will go. God's faithful to do that for us. So some 15 or 20 years before David was anointed king over Israel, back in uh, chapter 16, as the promise seems almost fulfilled, David doesn't rush in blindly and just seize it. He doesn't just grab it and take hold of it. He, he kind of moves in a, in a careful manner. He carefully sought the Lord. David knew the promise was from God, so he knew that God could fulfill it without any manipulation from himself. So you and I, we need to understand that is that we don't need to manipulate the situation when it comes to God. He'll go ahead and he'll take care of all of that. He'll say, hey, you know what? Here's how you'll do it, and this is when you'll do it. I'll let you know. And so we don't need to manipulate God. It's not a good thing to do. And so verse 2, it says, so David went up there, his two wives, takes his family with him. And David brought up, verse 3, men who were with him. So he takes his army, every man with his household, and they take their families. And so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king. Remember how Saul was anointed king? It wasn't really that publicly. It wasn't very public. And here the men of Judah come out, and they probably take him out to the uh, public square, and they anoint him as king of Judah. And you might say, well, wasn't he anointed already? Sure he was. That was a private deal in front of his family, but now he's anointed publicly as well. And so they anoint him, and they told David, saying, the men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. They're just kind of giving him a little FYI. And so this shows that David didn't seize the throne. The elders of Judah approached him. The elders of Judah approached him. David knew that it was better to let God lift him up than try to lift yourself up. And, and, and I know that's kind of opposite of what this world and, and today's age and times tell us to do. Is If you want something, you need to be the go-getter and you need to promote yourself. Well, you, you don't. Not as a Christian. And you might think, well, how else am I going to make it? If, if I'm not tooting my own horn, who's going to toot it for me? Well, let's see. We worship a great God who created the heavens and the earth. He, I don't think he finds horn tooting that tough, right? It's not hard for him to get people behind you. If you've inquired of the Lord and he said for you to do it, then you don't need to manipulate by trying to pat yourself on the back. You don't need to lie on your resume. You don't need to splash you all over the front page You take a humble approach and you watch what happens in the Lord. Well, instead of striving to advance yourself, the Lord will advance you. He he will put it in in front of you and he'll say for you to grab it and take it when you need to grab it and take it. And it'll be the best thing ever. So we should strive to advance God's kingdom and leave the advancement of self in his hands. If we're advancing God's kingdom in the workplace, in the home, in our neighborhoods, around our church, in our community, then he'll advance you. This also shows that there's a sense in which the first anointing wasn't enough when we look at this. As I looked at that, I was like, well, why does he have to be anointed again? Wasn't it enough? And as I really studied it, it really wasn't enough. We need a fresh anointing from God sometimes. 
Just because, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm anointed, I'm gifted, I got this. Well, maybe the Lord needs to give you a fresh anointing. Have you ever thought about asking for that? You might have a great gift. But have you ever thought and said, hey, you know, Lord, could you make it better? Or giving me a fresh anointing of that gift? And just think of what he could do with that fresh anointing. And so it's an ongoing experience with the Holy Spirit. It's not just something we take and we just run with it and that's it. Hey, you got to get that fresh anointing often. Those gifts that the Lord gives you, it's important that we, well, that we practice them, that we do things to, to, to keep them kind of in shape, polished and working. So this anointing couldn't have come when David still lived among the Philistines, virtually as a Philistine, if you remember. But he had to get things right in his own walk before this fresh anointing could have ever happened in his life now. He had to get things right. God wasn't going to allow him to live amongst the heathens as a heathen, the enemy, in the enemy camp. So he says, hey, I'll just wait. He's a patient God. He'll wait. And so look at verse 4, the second half of it. It says, and they told David, saying, the men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. Verse 5, so David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, you are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to the to your Lord, to Saul, and you have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened and your valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So David acknowledges their brave act retrieving Saul's body. You remember these guys, they run, and they're like, hey, I remember what Saul did for us. So we're going to go do something for him, and we're going to take his pinned body off of that wall, and we're going to bring it back, and we're going to bury his bones. And so David knew that, that he needed brave men like these to secure and advance his kingdom. It's kind of a political move, but he also said, hey, you know what? This was a good thing. He was sincere with what he said. It wasn't just for politics. It wasn't just to get more army men. It was, well, it was to show a kind act to them. And so he said, hey, you know what? There's going to be a lot of turmoil it's going to be sure that's going to surround my ascension to this throne. And we'll see that today in these verses that we read. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, But Abner, but Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead, over the Azurites, over the Jezreel, over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, and over all Israel. And so Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. So only one tribe followed David. The rest of Israel, well, they're following Ishbosheth. And if you think about this, Abner took this son of Saul because Abner, if you remember, is, is Saul's cousin, one of his relatives. And so he promotes this guy. And so being Saul's cousin, and, and the commander of the armies of Saul, for many years, he was a general in the army. So, hey, we're without a leader, and this was a great thing. He stepped up, and he grabbed a leader and said, well, we'll get somebody from the household of Saul. So they grabbed this guy, and he most likely wanted power for Saul's family. And, and who wants to, you know, you think about it, who wants to lose a job, especially a general in the army? Pretty good gig. Send a bunch of people out to fight, and you get to watch it. And you're like, oh, well, they lost. Let's go. Run. And so we see that that happens here too. But 
he, he crowns him king over all Israel except for Judah. So Abner made this weak, you know, son a king so he could basically be the real power behind the king. And there's, there's something going on here. Plus, I think the army of Saul uh, would have a tough time following a guy who lived with the Philistines like David. And you think about it, these guys knew that David lived over there. So it's kind of a little turmoilish right now. So they probably wouldn't follow David. And there would be a lot of problems for David. So, you know, it, this works out. And so here, uh, you know, and, and also even David being ready to fight with the Philistines against his countrymen. And so some of these guys probably knew that. So Ishbosheth um, had a short reign compared to David's six and a half years. Another thing, David wouldn't force his reign on anyone. And this is a great picture that we see of Jesus Christ. David's not going to force his reign on anyone, although he had right to do it, and he probably had the better army. And he could have went in and said, hey, I'm going to be your king. We're going to get rid of these two clowns because they're no good for anyone. But he didn't force his reign on anyone. And David, well, we're told that the son of David doesn't force his reign on anyone either. Jesus Christ never forces himself on us. He doesn't say, well, you know, hey, I'm going to make you worship me regardless. I mean, if that were the case, I mean, think about this wouldn't be a big enough building. And so he doesn't force his reign on anyone. And so he's going to battle against the pretenders to the throne. David's going to battle against those pretenders to the throne as well. But again, he's not... Jesus Christ isn't going to force his reign on us, and yet he, he does do battle against the pretenders to the throne. It's us, the unholy trinity, the me, myself, and I. He's going to do battle. It's either one or the other, but he doesn't force himself on us. So it's one or the other. There's a battle there. Look at verse 12. It says, Now Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanim to Gibeon, and Joab, the son of Zariah, the, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. And so they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. Man, let me just say, this is like one of the, in my mind, this is like one of the coolest scenes. It should be a movie. Anyway, just thought I'd let you know that. Then Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Remember when David walks up to bring his brother some cheese and bread and, you know, some lunch? And there's this giant in this valley making fun of the armies of Israel. And so Goliath says, hey, send down one champion. And whoever wins, well, the winner will take the loser home, basically. And, you know, just so there's not a lot of bloodshed. And that, that seems like a very smart way to do battle. King David's story didn't end when he ascended the throne. He had finally achieved the promise God gave him, but his time on earth was far from concluded. He had to raise his family, lead a nation, conquer the enemy, and continue to rely on his creator to sustain him. David didn't always do this with the grace and perfection we'd assume from a man after God's own heart. In fact, he frequently failed, giving in to temporary pleasures, neglecting what God had for him to do. Every time, though, David came back to his creator, he repented of his sins and renewed his commitment to God. God's forgiveness was real and available for David, and it is for you today, too. Have you been afraid to come to God because of your life choices? He wants to hear from you. He sees your heart and already knows of your sins and is waiting to offer you forgiveness if you ask. 
Tracy's here to tell you more about this. Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the ones to tell you about God's Son, who came to earth to pay the price for you and every person on earth. That price is death. But because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503. Thanks, Tracy. We are so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.